Welcome back to the Wellhouse Exorcism. This is your ghost host the most, Shanna. It's Pakwa PJ. You're the co-ghost. Are we st- are we sticking with that? Is that a thing? Yeah, it's a thing now. Okay. It, it was on K- another ghost or ghost. No. I kind of like ghost. If I'm gonna. It just I'm... seems like you don't know how to spell it, so you're pronouncing <laughs> it. <laughs> we had this conversation before. If you want to be the ghost, I guess you can. Ghost with the most. No, without the most. The most ghost. The ghost without the most. Hmm. Anyway, how are you? I'm good. Now I'm just I'm thinking of like rhymes. Yeah, like would the ghost eat hostess? We're here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that we should take a break. To quote you Alex, take a break. You take a break, Danny, from all of our Native American sadness. And we should delve into something else that's sad but also creepy. Okay. Okay. Um, before I go into tonight's episode, I would like to give props to Penny, our listener. She gave um, she sent in a little response to the conversation from Jackie. She thinks that the Jersey Devil cousin out there, it could most likely be a condor. A California condor. Because mm. those things are monstrously huge. Yeah. So. That, that's, that's fitting. The California condor started going extinct, as you know. Um, and now they are, you know, growing them in labs. No. They are raising <laughs> them. And then they are letting They're them. They're 3D printing it's condors. It's amazing the things you can do today. Um, but she, was, she said maybe that's why the sightings died off is because the condor was dying off. Mm. So they I was like. They didn't have 3D printers back they then. They did not. Obviously, it was 100 years ago. Psh. I mean, that's possible, but... But you want a dinosaur. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, Penny, you're wrong. <laughs> but yeah, your, your reasoning is moot. <laughs> because but the ghost I, decided. I, but it's the same thing with the lizard man, though. Like, I'm pretty sure I would know when I saw a really big bird versus, like, some freakish monster thing, you know? like It's true. This, you know, lizard man, they're like, oh, it was just a monitor, you know, like a really big monitor lizard, like... No, that looks nothing like (laughs) the creature from the Black Lagoon, you know? it's So, you know, there's no confusing the two. And while this one is a much easier connection between a condor and, you know, the creature they were describing, I still feel like it's a leap, you know? I understand. You want a dinosaur, it's okay. Thank you. You're welcome. I, I don't mind if you can have the dinosaur out there if you admit the Jersey Devil is not real. A little column A, a little column B, you know, I'm just gonna... It's gonna say no? Yeah, no. Oh, boy. Well, I'm not saying no. I'm saying yes to both. That's not how any of this works. <laughs> or is it? Yeah, let's mm. see. There you go. Did you do any research on the... Anything, like, from Jackie? I didn't have time. No, I didn't have, Sorry, didn't Jackie. Have any time. It has been a week. I have to do more edits to my dissertation, and I want to cry. So. I just spoke with my favorite game designer again, and I was going to read his design blogs in preparation for that conversation. And didn't. Yeah, we interviewed Jackie the day before. Oh, no, it was week, week prior. Because this week we had the interview with Jamie Stegmeyer, mm-hmm. and I also had my dissertation Zoom, which went very well. But I've been typing up <laughs> notes all day. Yeah. So 
I hate life right now. I cannot wait for this to be over. I'm very happy, but I'm tired. I just want to research spooky stuff. Like, can I just research? I should have made a PhD on spooky stuff. <laughs> Is cryptozoology like an actual thing now? Because I could get a PhD in it. Yeah, not yet. Fine. That would be really fun, though. That'd well, it's be because a... there's a lack of formal evidence that... Because if we could prove that cryptids were real, then they yeah. wouldn't be cryptids. Well, same with... um, I hate this term, but ufologists. Yeah. You know, like, they were made fun of and mocked for 50-plus years, and now UFOs are real. <laughs> but they're still made fun of and everything, because... <laughs> it's still... You ain't Travis for... <laughs> Like, what What can you really say? Like, oh, I'm going to go out in this field. Some radio radiation here. That's it. <laughs> like, Ta-da! what else are you going to say? <laughs> so tonight's episode, so we don't Not offend Not about any, UFOs. We don't want to offend anybody. Um, it's the bones of Mad Anthony Wayne. And already so, we offended some people. No. <laughs> <laughs> and we're also going to discuss the General Wayne Inn. So, I have a dad joke for you. Let's dig in with two uh, ends. Uh, uh. I'm thinking about making the episode called The Bones of Matt Anthony Wayne dash Let's Dig In with two ends. But someone might go, um, you're an English teacher. Don't you know how to spell the word in? Or would they get it? I don't know. I think they'd get it. I think they're used to me being a weirdo now. So, yeah. be a weirdo with me, people. It's fun. We just want to hear from you. <laughs> We have like three fans that email us. Four. Four fans. That four? <laughs> yes. And technically, if you break down the Fullerton rejects, we have three people there. <laughs> so seven. we have a lot of listeners. Just no one talks to us. I think it's game overboard's the same way. No one talks it's to us. It's a one-sided conversation. Maybe they don't think that we actually will respond. We will, people, even if we're busy. So anyway. Yes. Do you know who Matt Anthony Wayne was? I researched it like eight months ago <laughs> when we were originally going to do it. But... The Paoli Massacre, yeah. And then we didn't. Yeah. Well, because initially we were like, there's not enough here for an episode. Unless you look deeper. Exactly. So the Paoli Massacre, there isn't a lot to it. But there's a lot yeah, to it. Like it's like five paragraphs or something, or not even that. In... It's kind of important, too. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's a footnote. <laughs> Oh, alas. So, Matt Anthony Wayne was actually a part of the American Revolution and the Revolutionary War. Hmm. He and General George Washington were besties. And he uh, um, lived a lot of his life in Pennsylvania and was a part of our Pennsylvania legislature. Okay. He's one of our boos. Get it? Boos. Boos. Because he's a ghost. Yes. I'm glad you got it. Okay. <laughs> so- <laughs> Maybe he was a raging alcoholic, too. I don't know. <laughs> well, anyway. So when the Revolutionary War broke out, actually, he was 31 years old. And most of his life he had spent, um, he was a land surveyor. Oh. Because obviously we're still taking up Pennsylvania and yeah. Ohio and all that fun stuff. Uh, he actually had a family farm that he worked on. So, you know, there he is, you know, milking them cows. I wonder how you, like, land survey back in those days. Like, people can't even do it nowadays. From this tree to that They told our neighbor (laughs) that he owned half of our driveway. It's like, do you have a degree or a certification (laughs) in this, like, at all? Because you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Anywho. Um, But he also established a tannery in Chester County. So he is a Pennsylvania through and through. Okay. 
Um, now, that being said, he had a lot of influence, and that's why he was able to raise a regiment of Pennsylvania volunteers for the Revolutionary War, because, as you know, it was militia back then. We didn't mm-hmm. have, like, you know, armed forces. Yeah. Um, he was their colonel. He was wounded in the Battle of Three Rivers in Canada. And then by February of 1777, he was already a brigadier general. Hmm. So while his nom de guerre may be called Mad Anthony, he was not crazy. He was amazing. But you're probably wondering why he got the name Mad Anthony. I mean, yeah. Well, you will find out. What? But anyway. Not right now. I want to hold it off just a little bit. Dang it. You're welcome. So he did lead troops in the Battle of Brandywine and Malvern and Germantown. And he also spent the winter at the encampment at Valley Forge. Hey, okay. Yeah, so he's a he's a real one. In 78, he fought at Monmouth, New Jersey. And um, there, he actually received his nickname. So we flash forward a whole year now. And now he's going to get his nom de guerre. It's <laughs> just picture. Like, he goes to Monmouth University, he has some education. <laughs> They're like, <laughs> you're crazy. <laughs> there isn't a degree you cannot for you. attend here anymore. Cryptozoology is we, not a real thing. <laughs> the Jersey Devil is totally real. We are in New Jersey right now. How do you make the word you cryptozoology? Need to leave. <laughs> oh my gosh. So anyway, how did he get his name? It was actually at Stony Point on the Hudson River. Okay, so here's okay. a story from I'm taking all of this from Haunted Pennsylvania Ghosts and Strange Phenomena of the Keystone State by Mark Nesbitt, our baby and Patty A. Wilson. So it says here, Seemingly unassailable, Stony Point was a British fort on a 150-foot-high bluff surrounded by three sides of water and on the fourth side, a tidal swamp. Cannon studded the walls and some 600 redcoats stood at the parapets to ward off any attack. Dang. Oh, yeah. So it's a fortified area there. <laughs> watch, watch out. They're going to get you. When told of this by General Washington... Wayne, with supreme confidence in himself, his men, and his commander, replied, General, if you will only plan it, I will storm hell. We can take him. Yeah, pretty much. Overhearing the conversation, a soldier exclaimed, The man is mad. So there you go. Yeah, what's 600? <laughs> we can do this. We're plucky. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so, obviously... We got that- spunk. <laughs> If that soldier did um, <laughs> participate in the attack, obviously he would have realized that his statement was 100% true about Anthony because it says to ensure that they surprise the enemy, Wayne ordered his men not to load their weapons, but to rely on their bayonets. Of course. <laughs> I know. Got to teach those walls who's boss with those little knives. Well, they weren't little, but you know. <laughs> During the assault, Wayne was wounded, struck in the forehead by a spent musket ball. Stunned and bleeding, he rose and pressed on, leading his men... If only there's a way we could attack at range. (laughs) Leading his men in the hand-to-hand fighting that ensued. The attack was a success. (laughs) (laughs) I know. This guy was just amazing. Because he went to, like, command troops during uh, Cornwallis at Yorktown. I mean, he was always in Virginia. He was in South Carolina. He was in Georgia. You know, he did everything. In 1793, then... Uh, his former commander, George Washington, kind of cool guy, mm-hmm. appointed him as commander-in-chief of the U.S. Army, and he was sent to fight the Injuns in Ohio. Hmm. Oh, yeah. So, again, like, he already has the, the nom de guerre, Matt Anthony, because his craziness worked. Guys, guys, hear me out. I'm just gonna wear, just use hatchets, okay? 
We, yes, Jeremy, we do have superior firepower to them. We're gonna use the hatchets. <laughs> Forget their arrows <laughs> and their bows. Actually, we got the hatchets. Fun fact, it's crazier than that. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, it gets worse. No, it actually gets better. So we're not the full send rejects here. It gets weirder. It, no, it gets madder. We're all a little uh, mad here. <laughs> all right. So I do want to do some reading out of this book because he does fight the British and then the Indians come later because, mm-hmm. as you know, the Revolutionary War and the Native American yeah, stuff, you yeah. know, all these different countries and people are fighting. So the British, in violation of the treaty that had ended the revolution, had never entirely abandoned the Northwest Territory of the Ohio River, so the Indians felt confident in attacking settlers flooding the area. In preparation for the upcoming action, Wayne drilled his men diligently. One of the Indian leaders told his warriors, The Americans are now led by a chief who never sleeps. During the summer of 1794, Mad Anthony Wayne began his advance on the Indians. In mid-August 1794... <laughs> His men gazed at an area of land swept by a tornado a few years before. The Indians had used the fallen timber as defensive works in front of the British Fort Miami, and the desolated area gave the name to the battle that would break the Indian hold on the Northwest Territory, the Battle of Fallen Timbers. Have you ever heard about that one? No. No? Oh, it's a good one. But you've heard of Fort Miami, of course, because the Miami tribe was out there. So we had mentioned them in passing because of our lizard man and totally mm-hmm. awesome episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, again, the Algonquin warriors are, always going, are already saying, this guy doesn't sleep. <laughs> and now he's coming at them. So what else does he have up his sleeves? Well, let's see. Wayne had studied the Algonquin warriors. I'm seeing elephants in the trees. <laughs> no. <laughs> he knew that it was their custom not to eat on the morning of a battle. So, Matt Anthony sent the Indians word that he was about to attack, then delayed for three days. By August 20th, the warriors were weak from lack of food and had taken up a battle line instead of fighting as individuals in one-on-one combat, as was their usual tactic. See, that's pretty good. I thought he was going to, like, <laughs> cook a million stews and surround them with <laughs> just let the smell just swarm the camp. I but... crazy. <laughs> I just need the stew. The Algonquin line broke before Wayne's well-trained machine-like infantry. The Indians rushed back to the British allies in Fort Miami, but the British refused to allow them shelter. For this, they lost the ability to rely on the Indians for aid in claiming more of the American uh, West. Really? Yeah. What? It's amazing. Who would have thought? (laughs) Oh, boy. But anyway, so um, obviously there's a treaty that is created, so Wayne's allowed to return home. Mm-hmm. So he heads up to Erie in 1796, so it's just two years later. So he is enjoying his retirement. However, all those years took a hard toll on his body. Not on his mentality, of course. He's already crazy. <laughs> no, that's already gone. It's already gone. Um, but he does die up there. Um, it, now, it says here, yet as famous as he was in American history, one would be at a loss to describe exactly where he is buried. And so this is the story and that... now we come to it. And now we come to the Mad Bones. So in 1809, so we're talking over 10 years after he has passed away, his family decides they would like to have him reburied closer towards his roots in Philadelphia. Um, if you're not used to Pennsylvania, that is literally the opposite <laughs> side and diagonal. <laughs> yeah. It's the other corner. <laughs> yeah. Erie is northwest. Philly is southeast. Literally. Like, it's... <laughs> As far apart as you can get in Pennsylvania. Yeah, it, it, if you're going to look at this as like um, 
a rectangle, which Pennsylvania basically is, it is the hypotenuse between it all. <laughs> so kind of important thinking about this entire thing. This is the route his son takes. So Colonel Isaac Wayne goes up to Fort Prescott Isle to fetch the body of General Wayne. Assuming that after 13 years buried, his father would be decomposed. Yeah. Okay. Um, he only took a saddle valise to carry his father's remains. Oh, my. I forgot about this. Yeah. He underestimated his father's, quote, staying power. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes up to Erie. He has this saddle valise, and he exhumes the body of Anthony Wayne, and his body is virtually intact. Yum. But what does one do? <laughs> You only have a saddlebag and a body that is there. Uh, so I just want to quote the text then because this is just like, uh, you can't make this up. In what must have seemed like a scene out of a Shakespearean play, Isaac procured a large cauldron, stoked a fire high beneath it, and began to boil the flesh from his father's bones. How long the boiling went on is unrecorded. <laughs> Thank goodness. But the hideous cooking, the bubbling of the water, bringing to the surface first a hand, then a foot, then the head and the face of his own flesh and blood, must have given Isaac nightmares for decades. Better get a good, get a good inheritance out of this. Just he, saying. He was dead for 13 years at this point. Well, from whatever other family members are alive. <laughs> That's true. Finally, the malodorous deed was done. The flesh and clothing were reinterred in Erie at First Street and Ash Street. So, you know, whatever... They boiled off, was reinterred. The and then, soup. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And Isaac, you. <laughs> I think you broke me. And Isaac packed the bones in the valise for his journey across the state. But the valise, it seems, was not packed correctly or secured <laughs> tightly enough. After several days of riding through the valleys and over the mountains of Pennsylvania, Isaac checked the valise. To his horror... Half of his father's bones were gone. Stern along the trail he had ridden through Pennsylvania. Where'd you go, Papa? <laughs> yeah. Like, literally, <laughs> Mad Anthony Wayne's bones are from Erie, diagonally all the way down across he's, Pennsylvania. He sees a dog running around with a femur. Like, get back here! <laughs> oh, no. Give me back my dad! So... There have been sightings all across Pennsylvania of General Anthony Wayne. And so the idea here must be like this, that theory of, you know, unconsecrated ground or, mm -hmm. you know, um, someone not happy with their... not being laid to rest. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Or having been laid to rest and then not <laughs> boiled in a soup. I don't know. So anyway, um, that entire trail where he took people have seen you actually can like draw a line pretty much of people who have seen his his ghost along mm -hmm. this trail. So, um, to quote the text, a mysterious horseman reportedly has been seen clad in the military uniform of a bygone era. Some, especially in Elk County, think they have identified the writer. He is that of the great American Revolutionary War, Mad Anthony Wayne, riding, stopping, searching along the roadside for parts and pieces <laughs> of his mortal remains. So, what? Dang it, I saw, thought I had an arm when I was alive. <laughs> no, this is so crazy. So... Obviously, that's important as we discussed the General Wayne Inn named after him. It wasn't initially called that, but you have to understand the background. I just pictured, like, you know, the stories of people pulling over to pick up a woman in the back of the car. And then, like, they, <laughs> they you know, they, like, pull over and, like, can we help you, sir? Hey, you see, you see a leg? Just, 
Just a leg lying around? I, just, I need my left toe. I just, I just need my left toe. It's somewhere. I swear I had it. I, I, I know I had one. It's gotta be around here. Or it's like it's the recording. You know, it's it's not an intelligent hunt. So he's just he's just there going, "All right, I want you to get in battle formation, attach bayonets." You know? like, no, sir, I would rather go to Target. I hadn't slept in three days. <laughs> oh, we got them all gonquins, didn't we? Kiki, oh boy. You know, I mentioned we weren't related really to discuss the Native Americans, but here we are discussing gonquins. All right, so time to get serious, PJ. Super serious. Super serious. We're going to discuss the many spirits of the General Wayne Inn. Okay. Do you know where the General Wayne Inn is? Let me give you a hint. It's the Ohio border, right? It is not in Erie. Okay. So where else do you think it is? Somewhere in Pennsylvania. (laughs) If it's not in Erie, though, in this story, it has to be where? Philly. There you go. You did it. I'm so proud. It's right outside Philly. Deductive reason. Yes. Um, because, again, where he originally was from, all the way up to, well, I should say back and forth. Most of his roots were in Philadelphia, but he yeah. lived all over, thanks to his family farm and whatnot. Yeah. So, uh, it is in the village of Marioneth. You probably heard of, like, Marion. No. Upper. No. Okay, moving on. <laughs> I have, so it's oh, fine. Okay. I one, got one you. One of us has. It's fine. Someone knows our That's state. why I'm the ghost of the host the most. And you're just the ghost without the most. See? It's working. See, now I'm starting to think co-ghost. I just <laughs> don't know. <laughs> I think, see? I think you should stick with the co-ghost or else I'll keep making fun of you. But then that, that's not going to sound right either. I'm going to go back to ghost. The co-ghost? I can't do it. That's too much. host I can't do it. Oh, I like that. Co-ghost. My, my, my mouth can't take that. That's a lot of guttural sounds. Coca host. See, it just sounds weird to me. Anyway, mm. moving on. So why is this in important? During it's haunted. Yes. But during the colonial period, especially, so the Revolutionary War, it was conveniently placed for travelers who were heading westward when we were expanding As Pennsylvania. As usually are. Yes. So this inn was built in 1704. Okay. Oh, yeah. And it was an inn and a tavern, but it was called the Wayside Inn. Because right. it's wayside, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Um, a guy named Robert Jones purchased it, and um, he actually had bought it from Edward Rees, who had bought it from William Penn, but never used it. The hmm. land, I should say. Okay. So William Penn's land, then it was Rees' land, then it was Jones' land, and Joan turned it into the wayside inn. It's better than Jonestown. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> what can you imagine? Jones' side inn could have worked. Jones' side. Anywho. I mean, so... roadside inn would have worked, too. It's just like. Well, but it wasn't like a road road back then, you know what I'm saying? It was be- it was on the way. The trailway in. Anywho, so it was very <laughs> popular. Um, you know, af- when Jones passed away, uh, the property was sold to another person. He offered more stuff. And so it stays relevant for a very long time. Now, I want to move on to May of 1776. Okay. Because obviously 1776 is kind of an important year. A little bit. Yeah. Do you know your American history? Yep. Do you know why it was important? Declaration. No, because it was rebought. This inn was rebought. <laughs> no, yeah, obviously. That's why it was important. But all, in May of 1776, uh, the inn actually was bought again by Abraham Streeper and his wife. So they buy it. They name it the Streeper's Inn. Uh, it becomes the inn. They run it as a tavern and inn. And uh, unfortunately, though, a call was put out for men to join the colonial army. 
Who would have thought? Mm. Um, so Wonder Street, why. Yes. Streeper enlists in that. And so his wife then struggles to run the business by herself. Oh, his wife. She's got a she's got a life. I'll tell you what. Like, she does some stuff in this book. I'm very proud of her. The life of a wife. A story by Mrs. Streeper. So, to quote the text, it says, Soon after her husband left, General Mad Anthony Wayne and the remainder of his men descended upon the inn, fresh from a terrible defeat at Brandywine. So, mm. yes. Um, he stayed there the first night while his men encamped out in the fields around the building. I love how the generals always go to the nice places and they make their men, like, sleep in fields. Oh, yeah. Like, that's just trash. But anyway, I understand. But anyway, uh, the next day, the Marquis de Lafayette and George Washington rode in to speak with Wayne and spent the night there as well, to quote the text. So this inn saw some people. Mm-hmm. It saw some things. But anyway, the military does leave after that. But then we have, like, coaches coming in. You have the Continental Congress coming in because they're escaping Philadelphia <laughs> on their way out. Um, they're all fleeing. And then you also, for a while, have, like, you know, traders showing up and the British is coming. The British are coming. The British are coming. So Mrs. Streeper, to go back to her, she obviously had colonial sympathies because her husband's in the colonial army. So she decides that she's going to become an American spy because an inn is a great place to become a spy. Right? Yeah, you get to hear everything. Yeah, and this inn is frequented by everybody, as I just pointed out, from traders to colonials to every you name it, they're there. Yeah. Even the Hessian mercenaries are going there to drink freely because they're mm. German and there's booze. Yep. So it says here, the German mercenaries drank freely and sometimes talked too much. So she's an easy spy at this yeah. point. <laughs> what an easy job. But chief among the spies was Captain Alan McLean, who gathered information as Mrs. Streeper supplied the enemy with liquor. So she plied him, and he took the information down. Excellent. Yep, not really not really dumb about that. So anyway, um, later, though, which they um, lose the patriots who were staying there because the British came and got pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, But when they were forced out, there was a story, a rumor that was being spread that the patriots had dug a tunnel into the basement of the building hmm. for spy networking. So, as the story goes, according to the text, after a successful battle, a Hessian soldier was sent to the basement to fetch a cask of liquor. He never returned, and his body was not discovered. According to legend, the patriots were hiding in the tunnel and feared exposure. So, they killed the young Hessian and buried his body in the tunnel. Perhaps this is how the very first ghost in the building was created. So, now we're going to flash forward to 1848. Because... This place is mad haunted. And not just because General Mad Anthony Wayne is there. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. So anyway, (laughs) the old legend of this Hessian soldier would be remembered 50 years later because um, for a while after the inn was the inn, it became a local polling site for Lower Marion Township. And so at that point, it had been renamed the General Wayne Inn. Mm -hmm. So it's been a while. According to the official report filed by the supervisor of the polling site, a female polling agent went to the basement to fetch a new box of ballots. There she encountered a young soldier wearing a green coat who seemed startled or frightened before he faded away. The poll worker felt that the young man was scared and trying to hide. Hessian soldiers wore green jackets trimmed with yellow. It could have been him. Mm. And he is seen over and over and over again in the basement. So, um, so many have been reported, actually, that just in terms of modern employees, a whole bunch say they've seen this young man in green. So there's, it just seems like he seems frightened, and then he seems unsure, and then he quickly fades away. 
Oh. It's the very common re- retelling of this guy. And the story has never gone away. Wow. There is another possible explanation for this soldier. Mrs. Streeper pretended to be a British sympathizer and allowed the Hessians to bring their wounded to the inn and house them there. Fun fact. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, what a great way to slip some poison. No. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is believed that a sick Hessian was housed in the basement at one time. He supposedly died down there of his injuries while being tended by Mrs. Streeper. Some people believe that maybe she murdered the young man, and that's why he haunts the building. I mean, I keep them long enough to get information, and then if they accidentally died of their injuries, oopsie-daisy. Yeah, oh no. Some of them had to survive so she could look like a sympathizer, but I could see her killing somebody. I'm just saying. But anyway, as we move on from there, okay, other ghosts of the Revolutionary War soldiers have also been seen in the 1990s, we're giving, we're going to skipping another 50, 150 years here. Mm-hmm. A hostess said, so again, hostess of the Inn and Tavern, she had a crazy encounter. She was setting one of the dining areas up for dinner when she heard someone calling her name. I would not like that. No. Because <laughs> it knows my name. The person was insistent, so she paused to turn around, much annoyed at the intrusion. She was startled to see a man in a uniform that may have been a general standing on the steps near her. He seemed surprised that she heard and saw him, and then he quickly faded away. <laughs> like, yo, yo, Paco PJ, Paco PJ, yo. Huh? Huh? Oh, you saw me. Yeah. Because <laughs> after that, he just dis- disappears. But she said he seemed very solid, and you couldn't really see through him. He looked very real. Yeah. Well, that's how, uh, for those who follow our Facebook page, I posted a video from Jason Pargan, how... Like, ghosts aren't supposed to be see-through. That's a common myth. Like, a, a modern myth. Mm-hmm. Thanks to the um, the invention of projectors. Yeah. and Because, you know, in the early 1900s, late 1800s, people would, uh, you know, like, make some mist or fog or whatever and throw projection of a person and make fake ghosts, you know. And... Uh, a ghost, maybe? Hmm. Uh, If you've ever seen the movie The Illusionist with Edward Norton, it's that. Uh, And so, and that's why, where the misconception or the belief of, like, transparent ghosts originates. I would not like to have a ghost that knows my name calling for me. Yeah. Also in the 1990s, the Mater D claimed to have been given quite a fright by a Hessian soldier. Um, so some stories, of course, say that he was in the basement again, going back to that, because I'm reading through the book really fast. But according to Major D, he was walking by a cupboard in the kitchen one evening when he saw the head of a man materialize on a shelf. Hey, buddy. Why is this important? <laughs> some stories say that a Hessian soldier was ambushed in the building and killed by patriots who cut off his head and then disposed of the dead body. So seeing a head materialize, oh my. <laughs> yes, the man had a black, black mustache and was looking at him. Major D walked on past the head and out of the kitchen when suddenly he stopped and began to shout, I saw a head, I saw a head! <laughs> it was as if it took a second for him to register the grisly sight. Later, the Major D insisted that the figure's black hair and mustache looked like those of Hessian soldiers from the revolutionary period that he had seen in paintings. Mm. So no thank you, I do not want to see it's a like head. like the scene in It, <laughs> right? where, where Stan's head is in the fridge. So here's a sad romantic story. Oh, okay. I put a star by this one because it's so... Sad and sweet. Like a Poe story? Like that kind of sad romantic or? Uh, no, because that's just, uh, that's um, gothic and creepy. <laughs> anyway, 
So here is a sad romantic story for you. Right. A young British officer was brought back the General Wayne Inn after he was wounded in battle. Despite the best efforts of the physician, please, the physicians this time, they're quack. The man <laughs> died. Surprise. What? <laughs> During his last hours, he constantly clutched a little gold locket. After his death, the locket was removed from his hand and opened up. Inside was a fine miniature painting of a young woman who was presumed to be his fiancée. The locket was taken away and the young soldier was buried. Over the years, several people have reported that a young British officer has appeared to them and demanded that they return his locket. When Whoever the... has that locket. <laughs> better be enjoying I it. hope they're happy. <laughs> when the astonished person does not respond to his plea, he simply vanishes. I, I don't want to be yelled at for having this person's lock. I just feel bad then. <laughs> Can I just make one? and like You wake up and he's like in front of your face. <laughs> Got my locket. <laughs> I know you have it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. So back to the 1970s. I'm going to go back in time here. So this is a mysterious story told by a former owner. The 1970s? Yes. Okay. Um, so during the 70s and beyond. So it's a continual story. That's okay. why I'm going back. Yeah. The building was owned by Barton Johnson. Each year at Christmas, the General Wayne Inn hosted a large Christmas gala. One year at the end of the night, as the guests thanked him for his lovely party, several commented that they had enjoyed his little histor historical touch. Johnson was puzzled because he did not know what they were referring to. The guests explained that they had been much impressed with the young man he had hired to pass among the guests dressed in colonial attire. The man seemed authentic in every respect, and they had enjoyed the show. Johnson, however, had not hired such a man, and he had not seen such a fellow at the party either. And so they um, mm. mentioned this over and over again. Hence, we're going back and then forward. Yeah. I think you just wanted to enjoy the party. Like, look, the it war's over, guys. We won. Sounds a lot like the Winchester house with Clyde. <laughs> Clyde, get back to work. I really like that actor he had there. <laughs> he was really into it. <clears throat> um, in one room, a scuffle seems to occur periodically. Kind of like our bedroom situation. Okay. Okay. So according to Johnson, he said that one afternoon he and his staff member were like working on the first floor. And they, which is below the British barracks dining room area. And so um, they hear like this, like sound upstairs. It's someone like throwing furniture. They hurry upstairs because no one should have been up there. And what do they find? They find tables that were upended. Chairs were strewn around as if someone had knocked them over in a struggle. But no one could be found on that floor. Hmm. And it happens periodically. So imagine like you're up there, you have it all set, you go downstairs and then you go back upstairs and it's destroyed. Yeah. I'd be so angry. Yeah, I never know what's more disconcerting. When you hear the sounds and you go up and you see everything wrecked. Or when you hear the sounds, you go up and everything's perfectly, like, fine. And it's like, oh, yeah. okay, what just made that sound? Because that happened to us a couple times, you know? I would prefer the latter because there's no cleanup. No cleanup, yeah. <laughs> no breaking things. I don't want another basket full of angels and broken knickknacks. You know. Yeah. But it is scary. <laughs> well... Here's a fun story, too. This is a story from a former patron of the restaurant. To quote the text, the guest testified that he had been in the coat check room reaching for his jacket when a black entity grabbed his hand. A terrible fear gripped the man as the spirit twisted him around and tried to force him to the ground. He felt as if the entity would murder him if he could get him down. Hmm. The attack stopped abruptly, but the man never forgot his wrestling match with the ghost. It's the only report of anyone being touched or harmed by a spirit in the General Wayne Inn. 
The story would be easily dis- easily dismissed if it weren't for the fact that the tale came from a very well-respected citizen. Hmm. Can you imagine? Just get my go, Wah! It's very Amityville. Yeah. You know, that similar thing happened in there. But the only scary one, which is nice. But yeah. Shadow figure, just saying. Yeah. Just saying. Um, but lots of pranks. So here come the pranks. This is when I would be like, I'm done. Knock it off. Okay? Like, <laughs> so it says, at least one of the spirits in the building seems to enjoy pranks and making messes. So imagine you're this waiter. You have just set up an entire room for a wedding. You have folded and tented every single napkin. Okay. Oh, no. It's, I see where this is. This looking, is this is like Skinwalker Ranch story right here, yeah, isn't it? It is looking so fancy. Grand effect. Like, you walk in, it looks like one of those high-class weddings. When he returns the next morning to finish his preparations, the napkins were tossed about the room and he had to start all over again. <laughs> yeah. But like Skimoka Ranch, at least like they put the pile back where it was. Yeah, back this in the cupboard. It's just like tossed. Mm. It's like I got to wash them because they're on the floor, you know? Uh, oh, come on. He didn't do that. <laughs> you're probably right. <laughs> uh, the kitchen staff also have reported similar incidents. Uh, there was a cook who was last to leave. Um, the cook left a stack of about 20 towels on a cabinet. Next morning, when he came in to open up for the day, he found the tall towels tossed all over the kitchen. Again. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <sighs> and then you wonder, like, why? Yeah. Are they being pranksters? Or is it, like, <laughs> like the ghost is looking for things to, like, for a tourniquet or something? You know, it's more like that, like, residual uh, haunt where they're looking for a towel. But anyway. Yeah. The bar seems to be the most haunted area, though. Who would have thought? Because they went there. It was a tavern and an inn. So one night, the bartender was hurrying down the stairs to the basement to restock the liquor when he stopped short. Before him, who do you think he saw? In the basement. The Hessian. The Hessian soldier. Yep. Of course, the uh, basement uh, figure decides to fade away then. Hmm. The bartender refused to ever go into the basement again. He'd give a liquor list to someone else to bring it up for him. And then for months on end, between the time of 3 and 4 p.m. each afternoon, the glasses hanging from the racks of the bar tink- would tinkle and jingle as if someone was shaking them. The phenomenon stopped after a few months, but then started up again. And there's no explanation. Oh there wasn't gosh. like a train yeah. going by. Nope, would just tinkle like someone was wiggling them on purpose. Hmm. Yeah. And for those who haven't listened to our Liminal Unlimited uh, uh, crossover episodes, because, you know, they're not on our feed at all. Yeah. Uh, what we were referring to as Skinwalker Ranch is the Sherman family, the the mother, I forget her name, Katie? Kathy? Her name was different in the text. <clears throat> yeah, it was either Kathy or Katie. But anyways, she would unload all the groceries into the, all the proper places and everything. And then as she was, would, like, leave the kitchen, she'd hear, like, rustling, turn around, everything would be back on the kitchen counter. So angry. And she'd have to put it all away again. Yeah. <laughs> And that's when she learned why there were locks on every single cabinet door. And the story about, like, um, their son and his friends were supposed to move pipes. They moved oh them all. Gosh. And the dad came back and they were back where they were. He's like, but we did it. <laughs> like, we did it where you told us. Yeah, or the 80-pound 80 po- 80 uh, hole digger was found in a tree. <laughs> Yeah, that's that is an episode you got. Like, it's a two was it was two parter. Yeah, it was two parter. Yeah, two parter. Y'all gotta go back, go on Liminal Unlimited, and it would Skinwalker Ranch. You gotta scroll through. They haven't posted any new content in a while, but you gotta listen to that one. Like that, just yeah, those two episodes are really. That's good. like when you're just done. Like at some point, you're kind of like, <laughs> I don't even care. Like I don't even care anymore. Yep. Well, there's more to this story. Of course. Yeah. So back to the bar. I'm ready. 
This is back when Johnson still owned the place. Um, he loved his janitor because his janitor did a great job. But one morning he comes in and he hasn't done his work. So um, he contacts a janitor and the janitor informed him that he quit. <laughs> He's like, okay, why? <laughs> it seems that the night before when the janitor was working, a colonial soldier had appeared before him at the bar. <laughs> and so the man somebody put down his broom and walked out. And he's like, nope, that's it. I'm out. <laughs> so can you imagine? So more to the bar, though. So here's something that's just creepy. I don't like this at all. So Johnson comes in to uh, open the bar up. It's about that time. When he comes in, he finds the cash register is full of water. And it's electric, so it's destroyed. Yeah. Okay, but not only that. He looked up and saw nearly 30 carafes also filled with water. The water glass on the shelves were also filled with water. Oh, my gosh. And so was the wine rack that stood nearby. It looked as if someone had taken great pleasure in filling every available vessel they could find with water. <laughs> uh, the, so the, it's crazy because there's no pipes above the bar, no yeah. logical explanation. The mystery is compounded when Johnson tried to get an insurance company to come in, like, adjust and pay for the mm-hmm. register because it's an expensive register and it's destroyed by water. Yeah. Um, so... When the the person comes in, uh, they they're kind of like, we can't figure out how to not pay you back, but we also don't want it. There's like no rational explanation, so they finally decided to split the the fix half price, half and half. Okay. Because they couldn't prove or disprove anything. Yeah. But Johnson later realized that the event that would never happen nowadays. No, by the way, no. they'd be like, no, you're paying for it all. <laughs> Sucks for you. We're not even gonna send someone. <laughs> <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, he, but Johnson later realized that it was that event happened the morning after voting day. So, huh. like, but voting day always has things happen because it was used for all those years yeah. for a voting polling place. Yeah. And he said a lot of other events that were odd happened around that date, too. Mm. So he's like, he's like, I'm not going to say that's like a voting date thing, but he's like a lot of activity kind of spurns because I mentioned to you, like, 1848, we have a polling station there. Yeah. So perhaps one of the stranger phenomena at the bar is the neck blower, though. Oh, my. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, my heart's just all a flutter right now. <laughs> no, you're not a female, so sorry. <laughs> so Johnson, of course, was the bartender because uh, he owned the place. But he started to notice, like, a really weird occurrence where he'd see a woman, like, sitting at the bar. And, like, she would kind of, like, turn and, like, react like like something touched her or blew on her neck. And she'd, like, go to yell at a guy behind her, but he, there was no one there. And then she'd complain about it and then the next lady would like turn and be like surprised a little bit later no one's there and so he'd watch like as it would go down each lady on the bar so each lady would be turning around angrily there'd be no man there and finally johnson just realized that it would happen on busy nights and it was a ghost who must be enjoying teasing the ladies because there's no dudes there doing Uh. it yeah and so after that Johnson was told of a story that might explain this flirting spirit. So during the colonial period, a man often frequented the tavern and um, he was a drunk and he liked to go there and annoy the ladies who worked there while he drank. One day he got terribly obnoxious with one of the young women and a chivalrous man came to her rescue. The drunk insulted the young lady again and a fight began during which the drunkard was struck and killed. Hmm. Yeah there in the bar yeah and so people just assume that he's still flirting and harassing ladies so again still the bar wow want to hear another bar story that's actually kind of creepy okay 
Okay. In the early 1980s, a local television studio comes in to do a story about the ghost in the General Wayne Inn. And at that point, um, they go to show it on the TV screen. So the owner and a whole bunch of his patrons, about 50 of them, all gather at the bar to watch the broadcast on their TV. As the segment starts on the TV, the picture on the television began to slowly rotate clockwise until it <laughs> turned completely around. Again and again, the picture slowly turned while the segment was on. The television never acted that way before or after the event. The owner later checked with the television station in France to see, like, if they played it as yeah. a circle. And everyone's like, no, it was normal. But it was just the television at the bar that did it. Yeah, turn. That's weird. Yeah. How do you manipulate the screen? Like that. Because this is how to be like the old knob and tubes. Yeah, 80s CRT, glass. CRT yeah. TVs, which means that you can. Like, there was right? no menu or button that could rotate the screen and that 50 people and the owner watched it happen yeah so inexplicable i like to say but That's my cool. favorite story about this in involves a small goat-like creature with no leathery actually, wings i'm gonna hold that one on for last actually oh. so um, the one well, about the goat-like no, creature? No, I gotta, I gotta tell this one first because the rest of this is like modern day. The guy who bought it to try and fix it up. All right. Who do you think has been spotted at this inn? It's Philadelphia and it's my favorite. Poe? Yep. All right. Because you know he's, the last standing Poe house is in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. So none other than Edgar Allan Poe has been seen visiting uh, because he actually was in the General Wayne Inn in 1839. Okay. Yep. Um, he made many trips there because mm -hmm. he had a dear friend and biographer, Henry Beck Hurst, who lived out there. He also had a raven friend. Charles Dickens. It's Christmas time. Christmas time is here. Anyway. You said he um, had a dear friend. Uh, so we know that Poe is an alcoholic, so what a great place for him to go. Just saying. Well. So it is said that he had a favorite seat. A little stereotypical of him, I'd say. <laughs> it is said that Poe had a favorite seat near the window, and um, once Ben Franklin actually even sat at that place because it's where he delivered the mail, fun fact. So supposedly Poe edited or wrote part of The Raven at that table, and he also carved his initials into the glass window with a diamond ring that he borrowed for the purpose from Hearst. Hmm. Just kind of cool. The window was actually there to the 1970s, which is pretty cool, but then it got broke because someone was being stupid and broke it. Hmm. Yeah. It wasn't on purpose. They were chiseling something outside in the jackhammer. It was chiseling and it broke the window. Hmm. So anyway, according to our our um, reports here, Poe has been glimpsed sitting in his favorite table uh, seat. Curiously, he has also been seen in the building dressed not only in his customary suit, but also in his cadet's uniform. Because as many people mm. may know, he was actually in the cadets for a while. It, seem, it says that he seems to be tired, haggard, and worn. Other folks claimed they actually saw Poe sitting there a painting uh, of him in the room. And he's like laughing at the picture and making fun of it, <laughs> which totally fits him because everyone like sees him as this like dark and macabre guy because his stories are so dark. But he was like you and me, like he was a yeah. practical jokester his entire life. So I could see him being like, that's what you really that one. That's what you guys have hanging here. Like, man, oh, man, like this is upsetting. <laughs> like, I look like a doofus. I could totally see him saying that. So we need to go to the General Wayne Inn. Actually, it doesn't exist anymore. But we should go there and see Poe. Moving on. So Joseph Yogansky eventually bought this place. And he wanted to restore it to its, you know, former glories, if you will. 
So he decided he's going to turn it and uh, change the light bulbs in one of the chandeliers. And while he was doing that, it says after he had screwed in several bulbs and moved on to the next, something nearby caught his attention. He looked at the bulbs he had just screwed in, and they were slowly unscrewing themselves one by one. Oh. Again, the prankster. I just, I just did that. I just put them in. And those bulbs are expensive. Could, could you not put it down? <laughs> anyway, now Yugansky had heard about the soldier in the basement, um, but he was not prepared to see this side of the soldier walking through the basement, visible only from his knees up. He also learned that some of the former staff had seen this apparition. So uh, they said it seems to be walking on the original floor of the basement. And that's why you don't oh. really see yet. Because the basement had been raised about 18 inches over time. So. I was literally just thinking like, because you said it's not there anymore. So I was like, well, is just Poe sitting in the middle of the field now? <laughs> pretending <laughs> to be at a table? It could even. That's delicious. Where did everybody go? <laughs> At first, it seemed like something happened that would be great for the end because um, there were these two great guys who were known to be an amazing, successful pair of chefs. So in 1996, guys, I hope it's Guy, but it could be Guy Salio and Jim Webb by the end. Now, this seems like it's going to be a great, wonderful start, but it quickly became a nightmare that might have spawned yet another ghost. Ooh. Mm-hmm. The two were praised as amazing chefs. They had creative and ama- like innovative new designs for food and American cuisine, mm-hmm. which, you know, America. So they had successfully run a small restaurant. Um, they received amazing reviews. So they figured might as well buy a larger establishment, open up a bigger place, right? Okay. The end had become shabby with time and lack of care, of course, but they thought they could restore it with some help and get that nice reputation again of it being good for food, drink, fun, Mm-hmm. ghosts you know you can't discount the idea of ghosts to sell you some spots yeah unfortunately fixing up an old inn as we know with our old house is a lot of work yeah and it's cost a lot of money so they realized that they were just sinking really really badly their response to the failure ultimately led to tragedy so to quote the text chef webb wanted them to roll up their sleeves and redouble their efforts salvaging what they could Chef Salio decided it was time to bail out. The two became increasingly hostile toward each other, which led to physical fights and terrible verbal rows. Webb began sleeping in his office on the third floor because he was working so many hours that he barely got any sleep, while Salio was putting in far fewer hours. So again, Webb wants to, you know, get their hands or to get her done. Salio's like, nah. On the morning of December 27th. Okay. And I want to point out that is also the same day as the massacre. I just realized this now. That's Susquehannock. Huh. Yeah. In Lancaster. It was huh. after Christmas. It just stuck in my head. And that's not too far away. Just saying. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, I think it's just coincidence, but you know. Yeah. On December 27th, 1996, in the morning, Celio called the police. He had found his partner on the floor of his third floor office dead. Webb had been shot in the back of the head. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hmm. Suspicious? Yeah. I'm not suspicious, but I'm a little stitious. Anyway, <laughs> while questioning the employees, the police learned that Salio had been having an affair with a young sous chef named Felicia Moyes. Moyes indicated that Webb was becoming increasingly upset about the affair and had been causing trouble between the couple. Soon, the police learned of a large insurance policy that the two chefs had taken out on each other. Salio stood to inherit $650,000. 
Webb had also borrowed $100,000 from Salio's father. So, yeah. Felicia Moyes committed suicide soon after, and that only spurred on speculation that she might have known or even helped with Webb's murder. It was obvious that this was a very troubled young woman, to quote the text. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, the police arrest Salio for perjury. He later was indicted for Webb's murder. So, yes, a murder happened there. Many murders happened there, but that was the most recent. (laughs) So what has happened? Now, according to this text, now again, to go to the front of this, this was written in 2019. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, The General Wayne Inn was sold to a real estate developer. There are already stories that the chef has returned to his kitchen, but these are only rumors so far. The building has since been sold once again and is now slated to become a Jewish synagogue and restaurant. Will there be stories about the spirits in the future? The ghosts have been part of the building for a long time, and they likely will continue to be. It should only be a matter of time before new chapters are added to the long saga of the ghosts of the General Wayne Inn. So unfortunately, the General Wayne Inn no longer exists, PJ. Mm-hmm. It is a Jewish synagogue um, that is, that's there now. Um, maybe the ghosts are still there. Maybe they're happy to have a holy location. Mm-hmm. We'll never know, though. I wonder if Poe is enjoying being in a synagogue or like what parts of the building actually still exist you know yeah i find that fascinating so what are your thoughts about the general wayne inn certainly sounds haunted <laughs> judging by all the stories and everything if only Oops. we could have bought it and fixed it up oh yeah could totally <laughs> we totally have the time and money for that <laughs> <laughs> you don't know we could have <laughs> not now so like, what happens to the ghost now? Like, is there just, like, a random Hessian walking around the forest? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I just picture being in the forest. I don't know what it looks there, like. There's but... an inn there. It's just now a synagogue. They've, you know, built yeah. around and added and all that kind of stuff. Um, I just want to know if Poe still has his window to look out of. Or is he sad? Did they keep up a picture of Poe for him to look at? They're in a synagogue now, so probably not. Poe wasn't okay, Jewish. Okay, so th- there's a synagogue there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. So. They probably would have like, well, I don't, Jews don't use holy water, but they would have said lots of prayers. They blessed it, so yeah. Maybe they have gone on to a happier place. Yeah. Maybe one of uh, General Wayne's toes is on the ground somewhere there. Somewhere <laughs> there and that's why it's so haunted. <laughs> maybe. I have this idea. Huh. But that's have... my big question about residual haunts though is like what happens me too I... when you change the location on the residual like well, yeah, when, you, when you when you, when you change the geography too. you know knock it down like like the story of the the hessian missing his legs because they raised the basement a little bit so like what happens if it's just not there at all he's underground walking and they, they, yeah they fill in the basement, the basement he's, he's just, just in the ground <laughs> He doesn't know it's a residual. It's just energy. Yeah. I guess. <sighs> Alas, we'll never know because it is Jewish synagogue. Oh, we'll send Jack. Jack, if you're listening, <laughs> we need you to do us a solid. We know you're Jewish, but you need to go into the synagogue and you gotta 
find the ghosts. Yeah. I want, imagine if they're like putting out like prayer service stuff. I'm not, again, I'm not sure what um, someone in a synagogue does, but you know. And it gets all thrown these, all over the place. Yeah, like we, we put these nice pamphlets. We have these pamphlets out for Advent right now in our church. And you just come in the next day and they're like all over the floor. Or you have a Jesse tree out and they've taken off every single ornament and tossed them all over yeah. the altar. Man, I wonder what they if they would do that. Yeah. Would not be happy, but now it's hallowed. See, it's hallowed ground now. Exactly. So the residual stuff, I would assume, is still there because that's just energy. I guess. But all the intelligent stuff, the stuff that like interacts with, you know, throwing things around and all that. PJ, PJ. Oh you yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, that guy. That guy's gone. <laughs> the uh, the the kid, neck the blower. Guy for, the guy looking for his locket too, maybe. Yeah. Um, oh, the black entity in the closet. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. The black thing should be gone. Yeah, but the Hessian would still be there. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe the the head on the nobody wants to find a Hessian heads on a, on a cupboard <laughs> or like on the altar. No, 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 no. Oh well, alas. But I hope you enjoyed this story. I'm so, I'm glad we finally got to put in General Wayne. Yeah. Maybe one day we'll discuss the Paley massacre. We have lots of small skirmishes. We could just hit up lots of small massacres and skirmishes in the area. Yeah. But alas, it's for another day. Email us. Message us. Tell us what you want to hear more of. Well, they could do a poll because Tim wants to come back on. Mm, yes. And I told them I'd love to discuss Mischler's Theater or Penn's Cave. I'm leaning towards Mischler's Theater because it fits the General Wayne kind of discussion. Okay. Um, so if our listeners have any interest, Penn's Cave is a beautiful cave. It's amazing. And there's lots of ghostly stories that go with it. Mischler's Theater it's honestly it's just kind of cool so either one is fun i'm gonna hit up both of these stories eventually but what do you want to hear first yeah. i'm sure we'll only hear from penny and jackie and maybe fools and rejects about this but if anyone else is listening <laughs> please tell us what you think <laughs> one's an altoona <laughs> we know they're listening also tim should have an input tim what do you want to do this week <laughs> and respond about coming to my house <laughs> so anyway have a lovely week everyone and as always Think spooky thoughts.